Good morning, everyone. Welcome to LJCC. We're glad to see you here with us this morning. Would you all stand with me and sing together? King of Kings.
your grace goes on and on and i will sing of your goodness forevermore worthy is your name jesus you deserve the praise worthy is your name Please be seated. All right, if you would pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, dear Lord, thank you for the gift of life and a new day. Thank you for putting us in this place and time. And please forgive our sins and hear our prayer, we pray. We are grateful to be here in this most beautiful part of California to enjoy your bounty, whether it's a uh, spiritual, philosophical, the ability to pray freely without fear, or more mundane and physical, such as uh, indoor plumbing and modern dentistry. We are grateful for it all. Lord, most of all, we are grateful for the sacrifice of your son who put off his heavenly raiment to come down here, live a sinless life, but take our sins upon himself so we may be redeemed. 
Lord, as we look about the world around us, it is full of trouble and turmoil, but it has always been thus. Help us to not be angry, frustrated, or bitter over that which we can't change, but to have faith in you that you are in control. Most of all, Lord, thank you for taking away the fear of death and promising us eternal life in your presence, bound by neither space nor time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, but first of all, welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are glad to have you with us, um, both online and in person. Great to see you. Um, as you came in, you should have received a Connect card, um, which both contains a uh, Connect card and a prayer card. If you're visiting us for the first time uh, today, welcome again. Um, we encourage you to go ahead and fill out that Connect card uh, so we can get you connected and plugged into the church. Also, uh, we invite you to fill out the, prayer, uh, the prayer card as well and let us know how we can pray for you during the week. You can drop these cards off in the little baskets right outside the sanctuary, and now I'd like to invite Pastor Steve to lead us in a message. All right, how are you with uh, chaos? When you hear the word chaos, what comes to mind? Uh, I wish you had time to hear your chaos, but we, I'll, you know, I'll share some of my chaos with you, and maybe it'll provoke you to think of, of your version of it. Uh, so our, one of our daughters and her two kids uh, have been with us for the last 10 days, uh, and it was a close call, I tell you, I barely survived. And uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. And... Uh, where do I begin? The, I guess the high point, high point as in the point when I thought, I, it can't get more chaotic. I was sitting next to the four-year-old, and the one-year-old is in, in a little high chair. And at the end of one of those, everything has a little squeezy thing to it nowadays, you know, so a little squeezy yogurt thing. And uh, I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the one-year-old. He's like, he can say Papa. So he always says Papa, Papa, Papa. I'm constantly turning on. Oh, and, and so he's saying Papa, Papa, Papa. I'm talking to the four-year-old, and all of a sudden I feel something spray me, and I'm covered in just fine droplets of white-colored yogurt. And I turn and I look at this one-year-old, and he's covered in it, and the spray pattern goes out about eight feet all around him. I'm thinking, how could you possibly? have done that with that little bit. And I realized it's a genius moment. This kid, if you like Jackson Pollock, he has nothing on, on Wesley Jarrett uh, because Wesley just has a design sense about him because the way he was swinging that thing around his head and spraying that yogurt everywhere was artistic. It took, it, it took design to a whole high level. I hated to clean it up for a bunch of reasons, but mainly because it was so beautifully arrayed over the furniture, the floor, me, him. And it was one of those moments of chaos that I, I, couldn't not, I could not stop laughing because I'm thinking, one, I can always walk out and somebody else will clean it up, possibly, or they'll chase me down and drag me in because I was the one sitting next to the crime when it happened. And so as we're cleaning it up, we're just laughing, thinking, oh my gosh, this is just too funny. Now, there were some moments that were not so jovial in, in the 10 days when um, four-year-olds, just uh, four-year-old boys, I was a four-year-old boy. If my mother was alive, I would call her and apologize to her uh, because I realized four-year-old boys are, are the most lethal weapon that the world has ever seen because they can bring chaos wherever they go. And I looked around in our house, and not one spot in our house was not covered with something. I went outside. It was taken over. The front yard was taken over. I just thought, if I left home and left a note, would they even notice? Because there's so much junk here. You know? And so anyway, uh, they, all went, uh, they all, all went back on Friday, and uh, calm has been restored to our, our home. And I'm thinking, it's kind of boring without them there. So chaos is double-sided, isn't it? I mean, it can be so, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then when it's done, you think, hey, that was kind of a, a, a really important kind of crazy. I, I saw some chaos yesterday. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the, the brand Sneaks? Sneaks is a San Diego brand. 
and they sponsor the Sneaks Basketball Classic at the La Jolla Rec Center every year. It's kind of it's been off for a couple of years because of COVID, but it's back. And if you want to see some serious, serious basketball, street basketball, uh, so a friend on one of the teams called me up and said, "Hey, could you come to my game on on Saturday?" And I, I thought this is just too funny. Uh, it was like this kid calling their dad, "Dad, you can be my game." So this guy, I love this guy, and and he's a basketball player. He's a basketball coach. Uh, he's come up through all the, you know, all the teams and at La Jolla High and coaching, and et cetera. So I said, sure, I'll come, I'll come to your game. So I, went, I, I, I had all these things I had to do. So I, I went there at 9.30. I watched this amazing basketball. I went back at 11.30, more amazing basketball. But if you're not a basketball player, it's just chaos. Because first of all, these people are huge. Up close and personal, you don't realize how big they are. And now there, there are college players, former high school players, former NBA players, uh, guys that shouldn't be on the court probably, but they're on somebody's team. And it's going so fast, and it's just chaos, 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 chaos. And um, uh, it's, it's art. It's like ballet. We used to have tickets to the ballet in Orange County. This compares, it's just so much better than ballet uh, because the stuff these people do. And it was just chaotic. But there was, after a while, if you stood there or sat there and watched it long enough, you saw the balletic stuff going on. You saw the inner logic, the movement. Uh, you saw the gravitational pull and, and the repel. And, and the guy that invited me to play, this guy was like everywhere all the time. He was amazing at his capacity to read what was going on before it happened. And I thought, Wow, a great example of if you're not a basketball aficionado, it's complete chaos. You know, uh, you know, guys, grown men running around, bumping into each other, and once in a while a basket is made. Uh, but no, watching that, I walked away feeling like that was so impressive. How are you with chaos? Can you tell if chaos is the destructive kind of chaos when you're watching the news and you see one more bomb is launched at Ukraine? Uh, you see the the statistics about who's getting shot in what cities. I mean, some of the chaos we see, you don't see any upside to it. There's absolutely no redemptive value to a lot of the chaos we see. But there's also chaos that we see that is just filled with something creative going on. And it's easy to miss it if, you're, if you haven't taken the time to understand it. So here's a wonderful thing. We're talking about the God of wonders, the context of all creation. And we have a parallel track going on uh, what we call conversations, the second service. We instead of, we swapped out our second service to create this uh, this experience where we reflect on content, short bits of content, prevent, super creative content, uh, little bits of it, and then we we talk about it. And the whole point of talking about it is not to judge it or to argue with each other about what it means, but to say, what did that do to you? What did that provoke in you? What did that uh, call out of you? What questions did that that caused you to answer, uh, to, to question? Uh, were there answers to those questions? What truth has this confirmed in you? And so we're talking about the God of wonders, and we're talking about what does science have to tell us about some of the details of God's wonderful work. But then when we go bigger, we say the God of wonders is dealing with chaos everywhere. The God of wonder calls order out of chaos, and that's where we're going to go today. The God of wonder calls order out of chaos. Whether it's, it was in a, in a, in a outer space kind of a mode, nothing there, all the way to the chaos that's in you and me. And sometimes we can't tell if something good is going to come out of this chaos or if it's going to crush us and destroy us. And we have to be really careful about how we see it. I'll give you one heads up just theologically to frame it. When Jesus came into Jerusalem and they cheered him on and and everybody was going crazy because Jesus is here, it was already a big moment because they were celebrating Passover, a once a year big thing in Jerusalem. But then Jesus shows up, and it's like everything is going to be right. By the end of the week, he was crucified. Uh, they put him in a tomb. And the craziest thing happened in that moment of chaos, when all was lost, it seemed, uh, an angel rolled away the stone. And I ask you the question, is, is, is God still moving stones? Is God still rolling stones to reveal something other than the chaos we think we're seeing. I'm not talking about putting a happy face on chaos. I'm saying I can't see any good that's going to come out of the Ukrainian situation. I think there's a whole lot of good that's going to come out of a one-year-old who's pretty good with yogurt. 
And I think there's a lot of good that's going to come out of you and me as we get in touch with the chaos that we're in, that we're experiencing inside, but we often don't want to name or claim or do anything about. It's so much easier to project it on somebody else and say, well, if it weren't for that situation or those people or these circumstances, I would not be feeling chaos. The fact is, I bring as much chaos into the room as any four-year-old and one-year-old, and I'm not even aware of it. Why? Just because of my expectations or my assumptions and, and, and the way people might experience that. And so, so do you. So here's where we're going to dive into this. Chaos, as you know, means disordered, confused, unformed, undeveloped, unstable. Order uh, is, is God's response to chaos, and it's our response to chaos. Now, what we see God doing in the context of chaos is something incredibly transformational. God always does something creative in the face of chaos. So where God comes into a situation that we would describe as chaos, it's no longer chaotic when God has been present. Um, And bringing, as I said, bringing order out of chaos can look really, really messy. Remodeling a home, if you've ever remodeled a home. Just even remodeling one room in your home. I I was talking to um, uh, some friends this week. They live out in Rancho Santa Fe. They have been in the development business and building business forever. And uh, they built all kinds of things that you've seen around San Diego. And I said, how's your house remodel going? And they said, unfortunately, it's still going. All of a sudden, they were like everybody I've ever met, including me, who's ever done a remodel. It's out of control and chaotic. And just when they thought all the pipes were fixed, everything was done, a pipe breaks in the remodeled new project. And so it's done. It's, it's now chaos for the next weeks and months. I was talking to another friend. I said, a, a young mom with uh, a friend of our daughter's who has three little kids. I said, how's it going with your kitchen remodel? She goes, la, 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 blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to talk about the kitchen. She, she started laughing. She goes, the kitchen, the so-called alleged kitchen remodel is a forever project, right? So the, a lot of things, like I said, a lot of things look missing, but, but remodeling a house... Uh, seeing God work in your life is a creative process. Why? Because God brings creativity to whatever he touches. So in Genesis uh, 1-2, chapter 1, verse 2, it tells us that the Spirit was hovering, moving over emptiness and darkness. That's that's, uh, chaos language. Uh, You'll love this. The Hebrew words are bohu and tohu. So uh, emptiness is bohu and and tohu is, is darkness. And so if you walk into your closet, which is filled with clothes, and you say, I have nothing to wear, you're, you're essentially saying bohu. You might be saying boohoo, but actually the Hebrew is bohu. Uh, there's no there there. Well, actually, it looks like it's filled with clothes. I mean, you don't know anything. There's emptiness and darkness in this closet. Um, and, and, and bohu and tohu imply formless, undeveloped nothingness. There's no there there. Uh, maybe you're familiar with the name uh, Gertrude Stein. Gertrude Stein was a famous novelist and wacky person, in my opinion, my humble opinion. She was a piece of work, and uh, she wrote a book called Alice B. Toklas. And she was one of the first women to go to Harvard and to go to medical school and move to France. And the people who came through her house, uh, whether it was Hemingway or whomever, Picasso, it was just amazing. And so she's famous for these salons that she would host. Well, she grew up in Oakland, California. Her parents died uh, just when she turned 17, and so she goes back east to live with relatives and goes to college after that. And she doesn't come back to Oakland, where they lived on 10 acres with orchards. Try finding 10 acres in Oakland with orchards. It does not exist. I was up there a year ago, and Oakland is Oakland. And it's, but it's a lot nicer. But her comment coming back to Oakland after 45 years was, there's no there there. Have you heard that phrase, there's no there there? That was Gertrude Stein's uh, comment. Why? Because she didn't recognize it. Everything that was familiar was gone, erased, replaced. She couldn't find the 10 acres home where she lived. It had all been redeveloped, torn down, redeveloped, and she didn't, where? There's nothing here to tell me that I ever lived here. She looked for her home, but she couldn't find it. For her, there was no longer any there there. Well, some funny artist now, of course, in Oakland has put up a big giant word there, six feet metal letters. So now, is, now there is there there in Oakland. There is a there in Oakland. 
Um, but the Oakland uh, athletic team, you know, the baseball team up there, is trying to prove that there is no there there. They, they are the lowest team among all professional teams. It is so pathetic what's going on. If you go to an Oakland A's game, you'll discover, again, there is no there there. But this idea of trying to find home and not being able to find it, uh, that's a crazy, scary thing, isn't it? Have you had those dreams where you, you can't find your home? I guess I'm the only one who's ever had that dream. I mean, I just revealed something I probably shouldn't have. I'm oversharing right now, I guess. No, you've had that. And you've had some version of dreams where either, oh, I forgot to put my clothes on, or I, you know, I forgot whatever was supposed to happen isn't happening. And, and you can't find your home. Uh, and, and, and that can happen anywhere. You can literally, because something chaotic is going on in your life and your family, you go home and there's no there there. You go to your, to, into your marriage and there's no there there. You go into what should be your family with all your kids, there's no there there. You go to work and everything is the same, but nothing is familiar because there's no there there. You know that feeling. You know the disorientation of having to deal with things like COVID or economic changes or health changes, and all of a sudden... There's no there there. The spiritual analogy for me is that without God, anywhere can feel like nowhere. Uh, Tell me what you make of this phrase. What do you see when you see those letters like that? Because how you read this makes all the difference in the world. Do you see this? Or do you see this? Nowhere becomes somewhere when God's there. This is the big message of the Bible. Nowhere becomes somewhere when God's there. God is now here and, and stones are still being removed from tombs. Chaos is being revealed as simply a template for God to do his amazing and mighty work. Genesis 1 to 2 introduces us to that God who creates order out of chaos. It was perfect. He creates us for relationship with himself. Uh, with one another, uh, with all creation. He provided everything we as human beings needed, and he gave us creative work to do. But then human disorder and chaos engulfs chapter 3 of Genesis. And then the rest of the Bible tells us that God is reordering the world. The God of wonders is revealing who he is and what he does and why he does it. Now, we can quibble about the timing and the technique. How did he do it? How does he do it? Why is it taking so long? But the fact is, it's happening. That's what the Bible chronicles for us. So we all want to bring order to our world, but unfortunately, unintended consequences constantly prevail. But we keep trying, but chaos keeps breaking in. Somebody wrote this. When there is righteousness in the heart, there is beauty in the character. When there is beauty in the character, there is harmony in the home. When there's harmony in the home, there is order in the nation. When there's order in the nation, there's peace in the world. Now, does anybody disagree with that at all? Of course not. You can't disagree with that. Righteousness is in the heart. I love it. I wish I had it. Beauty in my character, I'm all about that. If I could just discover it, Harmony in the home, um, move on. Order in the nation, uh, keep moving. Certainly we'll find something here somewhere. Oh, peace in the world, sure. That mu- no, well, maybe not. See, chaos keeps breaking in. To, so something is beautiful that absolutely reson- resonates with who we are and what we believe and what we want. Nobody would say, I, I don't think righteousness in the heart is all that big of a deal, actually. You know, yes, it is. And all the things that follow from that, the beauty and the character, the harmony in the home, the order in the nation, peace in the world. We desperately want it. We're constantly trying to get it. Sometimes, you know, it's easy as the armchair expert to see the people who are the supposed experts making it even worse. And of course, the new wave of experts comes in in anything, in a government situation, a business situation, a social situation, whatever. And they critique immediately all the former people who are experts. Oh, this is where they got it wrong. And we're going to get it right. And of course then they don't get it right. And the can keeps getting kicked down the road. But it's not out of duplicity and disingenuousness. It's just that we so want it to be right. It just doesn't seem to ever come right. It's just always out of our grasp. It's, it's like the myth of Sisyphus. Cursed to roll a boulder up a hill. Just what he thinks he's done. It's all good. It's in place. It rolls back down. 
And by the way, this is a message on positive thinking today, so just want you to really know that this is supposed to fire you up for doing great things. So beautiful uh, as that, that, that little poem is, um, and as much as we aspire to achieving it, it's just out of our, our reach. And we discover that we need more than good intentions uh, to achieve these lofty and beautiful things, because they're embedded in the human heart. Uh, even Putin would say, I'm, I'm going to re- restore and return the glory that belongs to Russia. I'm simply returning something that we already possess. It's ours, but it's been taken from us. So you see the way our minds work. We can, we can rationalize anything out of this sense of beautiful things. You know the most vicious people in the world stop talking about people and they start always talking about humanity. They'll always talk about workers, not people who actually do work. They'll talk about statistics. They won't talk about real people. Uh, we, we rename things. Uh, we reframe things grammatically. Uh, and then the document was released. Wait, are you saying then you released the document? And then the knife entered the person's body. And you go, well, a knife just doesn't enter. You know, you, you know where this goes, right? Linguistically, we can play games with this. We can rationalize anything. And if, if called on it, we'll say, yeah, but I'm really trying hard. Uh, I was talking, my, my, one of my sisters is a college professor, and uh, she teaches nutrition in one of the universities in California. And uh, I was talking to her this week, and I said, how's it going? She said, you know, it, 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 I, there's something going on here because we have all these students now, uh, not so much with the graduate students, but with undergraduate students. They'll say, but I tried really hard. I think I deserve it. Hey. And she'll say, you know, God bless you. Way to go. Keep trying hard. How about studying? You know, uh, I got to turn this assignment in late. Well, you can't turn it in late. That's, you're ripping off everybody else who turned it in on time. So, yeah, but I tried really hard. Now, of course, the, the field that she's in, people's lives are hanging in the balance. So what she's seeing as a professor is, I'm not just teaching you content for your career. I'm teaching you how to be a professional in your career and deal with people's lives. Because if we don't get it right on time, every time, somebody could possibly die. And so she's seeing this chaos that could ensue if, if she doesn't hold people to high standards. So we've got to move past trying. We've talked about this a lot. Uh, trying isn't as good as training. What she's trying to do with these students is to say, we're training you in a way of thinking, a discipline of performing, a way of meeting your commitments, and owning when you fall short of that, and coming up with a solution so it doesn't happen again. It's not a vending machine where I tried really hard, I should get the prize. So here we are in Psalm 37. It's a call to training with God. Psalm 37, verses 23 to 24. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. Wow. That's an interesting way of framing a training process. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him and and, and though he may stumble, though she may fail, she will not fail permanently. She will not fall forever. For the Lord upholds them with his hand. So in Jesus Christ, God takes us on this journey by faith out of chaos and into this new creation. And he's saying the new creation is on the way. You're a new creation in Christ. That's the whole point of being born again. Is to be, it says I'm becoming a new creation in Christ. I'm being invited by God's grace into this process of transformation. Sometimes I make amazing progress overnight. It's like miraculous. I, I, you know, I stopped. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who said, you know, when I became a follower of Christ, I just knew that there's some things I needed to change. And some of them were just amazingly miraculous. I prayed that God would deliver me from smoking. And they were delivered from smoking or from drugs. Other people... Uh, their big progress was when they went to their life group, they go, hey, good news, thanks for praying for me, I'm down to one pack a day. It was like, yeah, yeah, you know, they're cheering him. Why would you cheer somebody who smokes one pack a day? Because it's progress. They were smoking two packs a day. And so this, this, this process of transformation 
Sometimes it's punctuated with miracles. Mainly it's punctuated by a lot of falls and stumbles and getting up and dressing yourself off and walking with God forward. So we learn to desire God. We learn to delight in God and, and to be directed by God. Do you notice that those are all active things? I hope something good happens with me and God. Well, do you desire that? Are you in? Have you committed? Well, I hope my physical therapist is really good. Are you going to physical therapy? Like I said, I hope my physical therapy... Wait a minute, hold on a second here. If you're not buying into it, if you're not desiring it, that is committing to it. And if you're not delighting in it, I really believe this is good, even though it sometimes is uncomfortable. You're not going to be directed because you're not putting yourself into the hands of the one who can direct you and guide you. And so our faith grows by discerning the voice of God and being wisely engaged in doing His Word. We're not into studying His Word as much as we are into doing His Word. The only reason we study the Bible is so we can do the Bible. And it's not just us and our great effort and discipline. It's the Holy Spirit capturing our hearts and our minds in the process of studying God's Word that allows us to do God's Word. Do we do it perfectly? No. Is okay better than nothing? Yes. Something is better than nothing. And so the God who said, let there be light, now says, let there be life in Christ forever and ever. Amen. The psalmist in Psalm 40 says, I'm in a pit. Can anybody hear me? And he realizes, oh my gosh, God's in the pit with me. And he says, God lifted me out of the mucky mire that I was stuck in. So let me give you some scriptures here. Uh, Paul writes to the Romans and he says, So faith comes from obeying the message. That word obey means hear. Hearing means doing. The person who is hearing, doing, obeying the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. There's an important message that the gospel tells us about. That it calls us to become engaged in it. Not just be uh, aware of it. But to be committed to it. Why would we even care about that word? Well, again, he write, Paul writes to the, 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 his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Well, because the Bible is God-breathed. Hey, that sounds like Genesis 1. God breathes life into us, yeah. So the, the, the Word of God is God-breathed. God's breathing life into words that are useful for teaching, and yeah, sometimes rebuking, and yeah, unfortunately, but thankfully, correcting and training us in learning how to be rightly aligned with us, other people, and God. Righteousness, that's what it is. So that we can serve God and be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That just becomes who we are. Not to earn you know, extra credit points or, or to impress anybody, but because good works make me feel most alive. Paul, again, writing to the Romans, says, don't conform then to the pattern of this world. That's a chaotic pattern. Acquisition trying to oppress everybody. And if that doesn't work, being jealous and envious and resentful, lying, cheating, stealing. Don't confirm to that pattern, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, a new way of thinking, a new way of understanding, a new way of seeing. It's not just a bunch of guys running around in a court throwing a ball and knocking each other down. It's, it's, there's a strategic, balletic thing going on here called basketball, right? Then you'll be able to test, test, and approve. You actually get to test this way of life in the real world. You'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Hey, this stuff actually works. Whoa, who knew? Finally, toward the end of Romans, he says this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance, <laughs> that's, that's a training word, through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide us, we would have hope. Having hope isn't just, oh wow, not wishful thinking. Having hope says it's happening, it's actually happening. It's going to work. We're going to get to the other side of this. Something good is in the process of becoming real. And all those stages in that process confirm how real it is and profoundly good it is. So in Jesus, God's or, God brings order out of chaos and transformed, 
transforms our mind through His living Word. And the Holy Spirit creates a new heart within us, and our hearts grow strong as we live by active faith in His love, His grace, truth, one day at a time. So let me ask you the, the big personal question. Where is the chaos in your life right now? Where are you experiencing some chaos? It might be coming from outside of you, but you're experiencing it. It might be coming from within you. Everything looks to the rest of the world like it's great, but in you there's a churning, there's a sense of chaos, there's a, there's a darkness and something unformed or disformed in you. Where is the chaos in your life right now? To pray about it is absolutely essential. But to pray about it as in it's a disembodied thing, I hope this goes away, is not what prayer is about. What you need to do is you, is you take the time to be honest and open, maybe because you're getting so much feedback from others you can't avoid it anymore, but maybe it's just because you are tired of this weight you seem to be carrying. As you name it, as you name it, say, this is what I am experiencing, and as far as I can tell, this is what I'm doing, or how I'm responding to what's going on around me. I don't know exactly. I need to unpack this. What you do is you name it and you bring it to the Lord. God never says, what, are you again? You, haven't, you can't do that by now? Why, why are you bothering me? Rather, God says, I've been, I've been hoping you'd come and bring this to me. I've been giving you every opportunity you might have noticed. What is it that I can do for you, my beloved son, my beloved daughter? And as we name it and bring it to the Lord, it sets off a chain reaction of chaos becoming something creative. Let me just say this. Don't try to fight chaos with chaos. My tendency is when I'm, I'm confronted with chaos, I just add to it. I, I want to react to it. I want to shut it down. I want to get it away from me. I, I want to I use words or, or actions. I, I want to find any way I can to get this chaos away from me. I do not like chaos. You don't like chaos. Uh, Janet was helping Lauren take her two kids back to Dallas on Friday night. They get to the airport. At, uh, they have a 610 flight. I won't mention the airline because I would never fly. But anyway, they were on Southwest. And so they, um, they, <laughs> they, they show up and they have everything in order. And the lady says, do you have proof of your children's relationship with you? She said, proof of my children's relationship with me. I've never been asked that. Yes, well, you know, it's in our rules of the road. She turns her monitor and says, this is what... She goes, I can read your monitor, but... No, I mean, they're my kids, I have them. They're calling me mom. Um, they don't look like her. So, you know, okay, fine, we'll, we'll deal with that. And then Janet realizes, oh my gosh, this, this is why God wanted me to bring them home, help them get home. Then they get on the plane, and, they, and, the, and the others have a slight delay, and then they, they get taxi out, they're in line to take off, and then, oh... A light just went on. We don't know what it means. We're going to have to go back. So they make the whole, everybody in the place sit there for 45 minutes. You won't tell them what's going on. And, and you know, there's no, here's a snack, here's a drink, here's whatever. And you have to stay seat-belted, by the way. And if you're not, you're going to get in big trouble by us. Okay. And uh, you got a one-year-old who wants to crawl. And the uh, four-year-old is going, why are we waiting here? And then after 45 minutes, they say, oh, good news. Uh, we fixed it. Now we got to wait for the paperwork to get processed. And so their flight ends up, they, come, they end up getting into Dallas at about 1.30 on Saturday morning. And I'm thinking, wow. Uh, what do you do with that? That's complete chaos. You can't fight chaos with chaos. You can't scream at the flight attendants. You can't threaten to sue anybody. They don't care. First of all, just do not care. You can't do anything about it. What you have to do is just focus on what can I do with what I can do. This is the hardest thing we ever do in life. It's not being passive in the face of something oppressive. It's saying, what creative thing can I bring to this chaotic situation? Because chaos does not solve chaos. 
And this is beyond our human capacity most of the time. This is where we have to turn to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what I'm naming the situation, what, and I'm bringing it to you, what can I do in this situation? Lord, deliver me within it and from it. And what God does is this. He orders our steps. You go back to Psalm 37, the Lord makes firm the steps of one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. And so the steps God uses include certainly his word. This is why memorizing the word of God is so important. Because all of a sudden he'll call to mind a verse that allow you to keep your sanity when you want to throttle somebody or just scream out of frustration. Prayer. Prayer is a focusing, centering experience. Holy Spirit, calm me. Let me come back to my right mind. Help me let go of this, this stuff I want to do and how I'm feeling. And help me understand these feelings and do something constructive with them. It includes not only word and prayer, it includes wise counsel. Now on a plane, there's not much wise counsel you can get other than you comfort each other. Let's just hang in there, let's just get it right. You know. uh, but, but wise counsel becomes super important. Often, and I talk to couples, I say, why did it take you so long to finally sit down with a counselor to work some of this stuff through? Well, we thought we could do it on our own, we prayed about it, and we figured that, you know, it, it, we're down, now we're kind of ticked off at God because he didn't answer our prayer. Well, no. The process, all of it goes together. You can't just part it out. Well, if this doesn't work, then we'll do that. It, it's a whole. You need the Word of God and prayer and wise counsel. From people you trust, call them up, see them at your life group, or you see a counselor or a physician. Or you go to the right person who has enough authority and expertise to say, oh yeah, that's normal, it's uncomfortable, but that'll resolve. Or, whoa, I'm so glad you came in here. We need to, we need to take care of that right now. You don't fight chaos with chaos. You bring it to Christ. You name it. You say, Lord, deliver me from it and show me the steps I need to take. And you know now that the steps are simple. Not simple to do, but they're simple to name. I turn to the Word of God. I don't expect the Word of God to resolve how I'm feeling about being stuck on a flight on an airline that I have no control over. But it lets me to focus on what is the larger reality here. And I pray, and I get the wise counsel I can get. But in a larger life situation, a marriage or a relationship with a kid or something else, you get counsel to walk you through as you're reading the Word, as you're praying. This wise counsel then also requires support of a community. If you're isolated in a church, hey, you can be in a church and there's no there there. You can be in a marriage and there's no there there. You can have friends and there's no there there because you're not letting anybody actually know who you are and what it's like to be you. So they can't help you. You're surrounded by people, but you're holding them at arm's length. And you wonder why there's no resolution. And you start to resent people then. So I'm asking you, where's the chaos in your life right now? It might be super low level. Deal with it as a low level thing. It might be super high right now. You're thinking, I want to end my life. I can't stand this anymore. Don't end your life. And don't end anybody else's life, yo, either. You're not alone. There is a there there because what do we say? God is now here. Anywhere that God is, is a good place to be. And God is everywhere. So don't omit or minimize any of these components in ordering your world around Christ. They all work naturally and supernaturally in God's powerful and loving hands. This is why the, I said this last week, the, the, the debate about is it, is it Genesis or science is a ridiculous, on the face of it, a ridiculous debate. It's all of it. God created everything. The techniques he uses, you know, there's all kinds of ways to look at that. As human beings, we so often want to bifurcate things. It's this or that. Versus saying, what is the whole that I'm looking at and how do I approach it? So it's, it's a natural and supernatural thing that God does, bringing creative stuff out of chaos. Don't ever minimize the natural steps you can take don't be afraid of the supernatural things that God will do along the way. So let me give you some scripture about that. Uh, we see in Ephesians, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
There's a larger spiritual context for the chaos in the world. It's just not Southwest being a lousy airline. They get it right most of the time. It's that in a fallen world, horrible things happen. And it's easy to blame anybody who's close enough to blame. But don't mistake the enemy with the flight attendant or the president of the company or the customer service person. Our enemy is Satan and wants to disrupt this world and create chaos where God wants to create something beautiful. So that's one way to look at it. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Um, And then corresponding to that, we see in 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. I'll kill you. I'll sue you. I'll get revenge. You'll rue the day you ever said that or did that. Uh, The weapons we fight with refer to what we said a few moments ago. You name it, bring it to Christ for deliverance. His word, prayer, wise counsel. Sometimes a person has to fight, and that's a horrible situation. Uh, There's nothing more grotesque than being in a physical fight with people, uh, a a war. Those are kind of final steps. We do a lot of other stuff before we get there, not because we're afraid, but because we're wise. So be, be, be wise about the weapons you use to fight the battles you're in. I leave you with this word of hope, and it's God's promise of ultimate victory over chaos. It's out of John chapter 1, right up front. John the Apostle takes the very words out of, out of Genesis, and he frames them around this new understanding about who Christ is. God in our midst. The God who created all things, He's here. God is now here, John wants us to know. And so he evokes, that, evokes and invokes that same language from Genesis 1 in John chapter 1. Uh, where he says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word. Reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's not a word of chaos, it's a word of creativity and concern and compassion from God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. That's why, for me, it's like, hey, how did God make stuff? I wonder what processes He used. I wonder how God made that marriage whole again. Well, we finally got so fed up of being married to each other, uh, we wanted a new husband and a new wife, so we thought we should become a new husband and a new wife to each other. And through some wise counsel and the support of some friends and some anger and humiliation in terms of how we handled it, and then some restoration and how we were learning to handle it, we have a new marriage. You want a new marriage? Start praying for the one you have. You, you want a new kid that you can relate to in your family? Start praying for the kid you have. You want a new church? Start praying for the one you have. You, have a, a new, you want a new version of anything? Start applying the Word of God and praying, getting wise counsel and some support. And you just might be the lever that makes all the difference in that situation. Some things will be out of your hand, some things will just continue to be chaos and you have to walk away at some point. For the most part, we give up way too soon, but we hold on way too long to the things that are making it more chaotic. And so this is a fantastic thing. That through him all things are made, without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And here's the, here's the kicker. This is why it's such a big word of promise and an indicator of ultimate victory. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not, will not, cannot overcome it. He's still moving stones to reveal life. And this is why the God of wonders is a God of order and not chaos. So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to the chaos in me. Help me to recognize it, name it, bring it to you, submit myself to your purposes so that you can heal me, change me, transform me, train me, reorient me. Lord, may I learn to desire you and delight in you and be directed by you. I pray this not just for me, but for my family, for my dear brothers and sisters right here in worship, for those watching this message today or in many days from now, that this would be the reality, that you are continuing to call something beautiful and creative out of chaos in us and around us. May we be part of that process in this new creation that you're bringing 
uh, to, to pass because of your resurrection from the dead. And the fact that your Holy Spirit is now at work powerfully in the world, all signs of the contrary, being as it may. We believe, Lord, that nothing can extinguish your light. And so light up the dark places in us so that we can follow you out of them and into the glories that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' high and holy name. Amen. It was a time of offering. Uh, if you want to give financially, you can contribute. Uh, there's a box here. You can send money in, whatever. Right now the offering is you offering you to the Lord. Maybe this is the starting point for you to say, Lord, what's the chaos in me or around me that I'm concerned most about? Bring that to Him as we worship Him. Let the words of the music speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit in this place speak to you. Following this, um, we're going to have a benediction. Invite you to go outside and get some prayer uh, in the prayer garden if, you, if you'd like that. Get something to eat and then come back and meet with us for conversations at 11. Out of the shadow, straight for the gallows, a dead man walking till love came calling. Rise up, rise up. Six feet under, I thought it was over, an answer to prayer, the voice of a savior, rise up, rise up, all at once I came alive, this beating heart, these open eyes, the grave let go.
Uh, there's a light that shines in the darkness and nothing and no one can put it out. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine forgive you for everything you've done, everything you regret, everything that causes you shame and heartache. May he lift you up as you open your heart and mind to him. He's still rolling stones. Let him remove the stones in your life. Let him bring something beautiful out of the chaos that you're carrying with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.